0: welcome back to the red dice diaries rpg podcast i'm your host john and today inspired by an episode of the excellent keep off the borderlands with spencer aka free throw i'm going to be taking a look at electric bastion Land by chris mcdowell and asking osr or not so we're going to get to that straight after the music So before we start, let me just start out this episode by saying that Electric Bastion Land isn't my favourite RPG book, although I own a copy of it, obviously, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with it, it just doesn't particularly butter my biscuits. So now you might be thinking... But John, if you don't like this book, why are you bothering doing an episode about it? Or are we just going to have to put it with an episode listening to you moaning on about how you don't like it? Well, fear ye not, hypothetical listener, that's not my intent with this episode at all. After all, the idea of OSR October is to talk about things you enjoy. And I thought, well, it'd be... Very easy for me just to go on about all of the RPG books that I'm really, really fond of. But I sort of do that anyway in the podcast. And then when I was listening to an episode of Spencer's podcast keep off the borderlands where he read out a post from chris mcdowell's blog i believe where the author himself was talking about whether he thought electric bastionland was osr or not i thought you know what maybe i should go back and have a look at it and instead of focusing on the things i don't like about it like the the large font size or the fact that it seems to be Unnecessarily padded to me making the book more expensive instead of that i'm going to focus on the things i do like about it and whether i think it's osr or not so without further delay let's dive into it and we start off with a nice sort of summary of creating a character there are only three ability scores in this strength dex and charisma you roll three d6 for them so far so old school although some of the abilities are missing but that's fair enough you don't have to be identical to old school games you start off with hit protection points hit points by another name i mean they even have the same acronym for them which is obviously hp now one of the things i like next is that as a starting group of heroes you have a debt of ten thousand pounds since that seems to be the currency in here And the failed career, which we'll get into a bit, of the youngest player specifies the debt holder that you owe money to. Now, I quite like this. I've been sort of quite open about the fact that I'm not generally fond of coming up with pages upon pages of extensive background material before you get into the game. I like stuff that comes up in play. And this seems to hit a nice sweet spot for me where it gives you a little bit of guidance at the start. But it doesn't create too much stuff, you know. You mainly explore it as it's going gone. It's just there to frame your group. You apparently also roll up a character that is also leading an expedition for whatever treasure you're seeking. So there's a bit of inbuilt rivalry there. And we often hear people lauding OSR adventures that have rival groups with different agendas and stuff like that in. So Electric Bastion Land pretty much builds that in from the very start. Small groups can create lackeys or hirelings, etc. Very old school, having hirelings to soak up that sweet, sweet damage. And we're told that when a character dies, that player creates a new character as normal who can inherit the property and the debt of their previous character. And I'm pretty sure I remember quite a few retro clones and old school games dealing with leaving a will and an inheritance to obviously following characters as a way of like not losing all of your loot when you die so again that seems pretty old school to me so let's get on to these failed careers and in this you consult a table where you basically reference your highest and the lowest ability score and that tells you what failed career you have we then get a basic two-page spread on how the rules work And what the goal is, your treasure hunters, the conductor, which is what they call the GM in this, gives you a tip off to a piece of treasure somewhere dangerous. The goal is to bring it back for sale. And you might say, well, that seems unnecessarily restrictive. But to be honest, a lot of old school games focus on delving into a dungeon to go and get that sweet, sweet GP or treasure. So I feel all this game really does is sort of bring that to the front and center and just sort of stake its claim right from the get go. We're told in terms of saving throws, it's a roll to avoid danger from a risky action or situation. Roll a d20, if you get equal to or under the ability score, you pass. So we're subbing in ability scores rather than separate saves here. And I know a few other games which do that. I don't see that as a particular problem. We're told on their turn, each individual can move and perform one action. Absolutely fine. In terms of attacking, all players declare who they're attacking for any dice rolls attackers roll the damage dice indicated by their weapon causing that much damage to the target attackers wielding two weapons roll damage for both and keep the highest multiple attackers targeting the same opponent roll their damage dice together and keep only the highest single dice and i believe that that can be deducted for armor armor subtracting from the damage roll rather than making an enemy harder to hit which this seems to be a bit of a departure For me, because in most old school games you have to roll to beat like an armor class or something like that first, and then you roll your damage to see what's done. And armor doesn't generally deduct from that, it just makes you harder to hit. So I can see combat being quite deadly in this because essentially you can't avoid a blow. So you're going to be constantly taking damage, albeit if there's multiple people attacking you, it's only going to be one lot of damage you're taking, and you can wear armor to sort of shield you from the worst of it but i can see it being pretty deadly but that's no bad thing as far as i'm concerned because old school games are often talked up to be quite deadly particularly at low levels however i'm sure we've all been in those combats where you just do bad luck of the dice neither side can hit each other and you're there for countless rounds rolling dice without really much happening until either someone gets lucky or the gm does something to spur the game along and i don't see that being a problem with the combat system in here and i quite like the idea of like it just comes down to attrition and who's got the best equipment and I can imagine that's probably how it works in the real world to be honest the person with the better kit tends to win out not always but quite a bit of the time Another slight difference in the game is that when you take damage, you lose that many HP, absolutely fine. If you take more damage than your remaining HP, you are wounded, and any remaining damage is removed from your strength score. So rather than in some old school games hitting that zero and just being dead, you're done, in this, you are wounded once you hit zero, but until your strength score starts getting completely depleted, you are still sort of struggling onwards. And the way it's described here is, once you've bitten into your strength score, you have to pass a strength save to avoid critical damage. And a character that takes critical damage is unable to do anything but crawl until they are tended to by an ally and have a rest. They die of their injuries if left unattended for an hour. So, as your strength score is getting beaten down, these saves are going to be a lot more difficult to make. And eventually, if your strength score gets reduced to zero, you are dead dead if your dex or charisma scores reduce to zero you're paralyzed or catatonic respectively one nice additional wrinkle here is that if an attack takes you to exactly zero hp you take a permanent scar as a mark of the injuries you've received and there is a scar table a d12 table here running from battle scars up to hobbled to punctured organs all the way up to doomed to die Where your character survives but is haunted by the nightmares that next time they might not be so lucky we get an example of play and then we move on to some equipment costs and the equipment's fairly simple with just one or two sort of characteristics that define them we get ships, properties, fighting machines, and we get a random table of how to define who's actually selling those, so the characteristics of whatever merchant you're buying them from, and then we move on to the what I think is probably the mainstay of the book which is the failed career we talked about that earlier on that table you cross-reference your highest and lowest ability scores and it tells you which one to look for and this is what you tried to do in your previous life before not doing very well at it and deciding to strike out as an adventurer and these are all have this sort of implicit setting of bastion land of this huge sort of city we have gutter minders curiosity compilers Trench conscripts, debt squeezers, criminal bureaucrats, sanctioned executioners, disinherited social types, lost expeditioners, war-born professional gamblers, integrated alien, deconstructor, street to judge, and all manner of things like that that are sort of built into this implied setting within each of these failed careers you have a you get section which describes what's sort of additional kit you get as a holdover from your previous career you then get two tables both of which relate to various aspects of your failed career on one of them the result is determined by how much money you start with and the other is determined by how many hit points you start with so looking at the street judge we can see they start with a martial gavel which is a d6 based a weapon and an incomplete book of laws the first section is then why do you loan longer practice and this ranges from if you're starting with one pound you went on a mushroom binge and took a bank a bag of psychedelic mushrooms, very OSR, Will of the Shrooms and the OSR. All the way up to, if you start with £6, you are caught taking bribes and other judges hate you, some just for getting caught. And then the second section is, what do you always have with you? And if you start with 1 HP, you have a symbolic but aggressive hawk, so a pet. And if you start with 6 HP, you have a bad reputation. Anyone on the wrong side of the law knows and dislikes you. So this is a nice sort of subtle way of balancing things out, where if you have more money and more HP, you tend to start off with worse consequences from your failed career. Whereas if you start off with lower HP and lower money, you tend to get, I suppose, a slightly more easy ride when it comes to it. And these careers go up until... Oh, let's see where do they actually face this there seems to be like about 100 of them in here and they in fact there's exactly 100 of them here and they go up to page 235 in what is a 333 page book so you can tell how many of them there are and each of these is basically a two page spread one page is pretty much entirely well, almost entirely an image with a large title and then a a little bit which tells you if you're the youngest player who the group's in debt to and then on the other page you get the equipment list and the two random tables to determine something about your previous failed career so if we continue past them we get to the conductor's guide the the gm's section effectively where it gives you some advice on how to prepare a game example treasures and stuff like that and then we get into what i consider to be one of the more abasari ish elements of it we get some random tables of game inspiration and whether you agree or not it's hard to deny that random tables have been a part of osr games since god was a boy we get some further information on saving throws and answering questions and adjudicating possible sort of sticky areas in the rules we get some advice on making look rolls and some random tables for that and then we get an explanation of the odd world of bastion land so this lightly sketched in setting that we have here and we're told that it's a world without maps bastion sprawls and changes so quickly that maps are obsolete a world without timelines a world of oddity where strange things are dotted amongst the familiar a world of danger where nowhere is truly safe and a world of possibilities where if you have a great idea there's a place for it somewhere in the world we have a double page art spread in this sort of black and white style and we have some fairly spaced out random tables and inspirational quotes etc for describing the various elements of the setting from bastion to the deep country which is basically the areas the sort of rural areas where things adhere to a slightly more older style of life rather than the sort of metropolitan I suppose or cosmopolitan area of Bastionland the underground which seems to connect everything and may rest slightly below our actual reality and then we're told a little bit about the inhabitants of Bastionland. And we're given a series of random tables to help determine the cast of thousands that exist in Bastionland. And this is all quite interesting stuff. Again, very spaced out with each thing having a two-page spread. Plenty of a blank space there. Then we get the oddendum. Where we get a series of articles offering further explanation of how to run the game and expand the setting... So the first piece intended for players, the remainder for the conductor. The second half containing sample content that is apophrical and may have no place in your campaign world. And this is pretty much a grab bag of additional advice and optional stuff that you might want to bring into the game if you see fit. And then finally, we have the last word from... Chris McDowell, where he says, Electric Bastionland was written to be a role-playing game that anyone could play. I want to break down the barriers between how we imagine a game to be and how it plays at the table. It's a game to be played, not a textbook to be studied. It's designed for the game table, not the library. Thank you and have fun. And I've compressed that down. There's a lot more in that, but that's the basic gist of it. And then finally, we get a rules summary on the back. So looking over at Electric Bastionland. I can see that most of my previous problems with it are to do with the fact that the book seems quite stretched out, fonts are pretty massive in places, there's a lot of pages just taken up by artwork, and it's a big sort of probably not A4, I think it's the the American standard size, but it's bigger than a lot of the the small form of books that I prefer. And to be honest, I think if it was tightened up a bit, it could have probably quite easily fit into a book that was similarly sized to Into the Odd. But as I said, I'm going to focus on the positives here. One of the positives, I think Electric Bastion actually does a fairly good job of, if not 100% adhering to the sort of osr styling which is kind of difficult to define but it's one of those things where like once you know it you know it and i think there's a lot that's very osr in here there's a a setting that's lightly defined but gives you some pointers and then some tables to help determine everything else there are factions and rivals going on in the setting to make it feel like a living world rather than just everything being in suspended animation until the player characters run across it there are these I suppose grubby sort of pathetic aesthetic player characters that start off with failed careers and debts behind them and now they're an adventurer looking to better their circumstances by delving into strange ruins and retrieving treasures and hell if that's not OSR I don't know what is so is Electric Bastionland my new favorite OSR game no, not really, but is it a good game? I think probably it is. If it, if you like the style of it and it clicks with you, I think you can have a great deal of fun with it. And in fact, I've played a couple of sessions of it. I very much enjoyed it. Now, like I say, Into the odd is my preference, but Electric Bastion Land also has a place and I think is quite it's not an osr game it's definitely osr adjacent but i'd have no problem sliding it in alongside my osr games so i've got to say that i've got to for a wrap up i've got to thank spencer aka free throw from keep off the borderlands because before i listened to his episode my electric bastion book was lying in my might i potentially sell this at some point in the future pile but having listen to his episode and once again read through it trying to look for the positives in it i think i'm probably going to keep hold of it to be honest because even if i'm not going to run the game as is i think there's a lot of inspiration in there for any osr game taking place in a sort of strange quirky metropolitan setting and i could certainly pull a lot of inspiration from the random tables in there and how as i said earlier i love the idea of that combat system where you you just take damage you don't roll to overcome acs it's just you roll your damage you take off the opponent's armor from it, and whatever's left is what gets deducted from their hit points. And I think that could make a really lethal and interesting OSR game. But anyway, that's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed my quick look through Electric Bastionland and my reasoning as to why I think it's a good OSR or OSR-adjacent game. Again, thank you to Spencer from Keep of The Borderlands. If you've not listened to that podcast, What Are You Doing With Your Life? I'll put a link down in the description so you can go and check that out if you've got anything to say about electric Bastionland or other osr games or maybe previous episodes we've done you can get in touch in a number of different ways you can leave us a voicemail or message on our old anchor account or Speakpipe. there'll be a link in the description or you can send us an email either with just a standard text email or an mp3 file attached and you can send that to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com so until we see you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing out there, have fun.